Okay, campers, rise and shine. And don't forget your booties because it's cold out there. It's cold out there every day. Wow. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a reading from the classic 1993 Groundhog Day. Do you feel like you're living in Groundhog Day, Drew? You know what? Chris and Claire, co-host of the Good Bottle Podcast. Yes. Yes, I do right now. It's <laughs> been... Um, you know, you try to you try to mix it up and you try to do different things. But obviously with all the um, shelter in places and all that fun stuff, yeah, every day seems like it was the day before and the day before that and the day before that. So... Yeah. Um, Groundhog Day has gotten a lot less funny because of the reality that we're currently living. <laughs> and with That's that fair. said, let's let's um, let's talk about what we usually talk about. And um, this week we're actually mixing it up because it has been a little bit repetitive for all of us, and so instead of doing a sampling of like a mystery spirit, how we usually do. I think what I'm going to do today is talk about a cocktail that I have been making almost nonstop um, this entire quarantine to the point where I actually made my own syrup for it too. And um, anytime you can get me to do, yeah. Anytime you can get me to do something extra uh, when it comes to cocktail making, that that means a lot, and so what I've been it's true because you're lazy. It's it's so true. <laughs> like people get like uh, like I'll buy simple syrup, but I buy the cane simple syrup, and I've I've had multiple people tell me they're like, well, why don't you just make your own simple syrup? And I was like, because this is available. Like, why would I do that? Like, it's so, <laughs> like it's so it's so easy to make. I was like, it's not as easy as me grabbing it off the shelf and then paying for it. So, um, yeah, uh, I know. But so what I've made or what I have been making almost nonstop. And I kind of do this when I'm making cocktails when I'm trying to like learn them and stuff like that is, um, I've been doing a jet pilot and it is become, yeah, I mean, I, I've been really fascinated in, by the fact that you've been so fascinated by this drink. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I don't know why I haven't gravitated towards it more um, before this time. Just because it, it legitimately has all the characteristics that I want in a drink, and yeah. I don't. I don't it's, know if it's I quintessential just, tiki drink. Yeah, and so with that said, I mean that's kind of a nice segue into: Do you know who created the jet pilot, or allegedly created the jet pilot? I don't. Okay. Do you know who Stephen Crane is? I don't. Okay. So Steve Crane is kind of like the lost founder of Tiki. So you have Don the Beachcomber, you have Trader Vic. Those are like your two like main guys, right? And then in terms of the modern modern era, you have like Sven Kirsten, um, Beach Bump Barry, Martin Kate. Like those are kind of like your almost Mount Rushmore esque with plus one, you know, for your, uh, for your top, <laughs> for your top guys in Tiki. Well, there was this guy who, um, owned a place in Los Angeles called the Luau and his name was Steve Crane. He was actually an actor who, um, wanted to have 
just a restaurant. And this is what, this is what he kind of came up with. And it was during, you know, the 1950s when Tiki was at kind of its peak. And um, he actually ended up being in the restaurant industry for a little over 25 years, but he's one, he's a person that's often credited with a lot of creations, but for whatever reason, just never kind of gets his due when it comes to Tiki creations and his influence on the entire Tiki culture. And so the jet pilot, which is believed to have been created in 1958, was also capitalizing on what was referred to as the jet age during that time. And so that's when, you know, you had people were breaking the sound barrier, like, you know, jet, jet pilots were rock stars and all that fun stuff. And so you had a lot of um, drinks at the time that were kind of named after that kind of stuff. Right. So you had, like uh, you said, the jet pilot, there's the test pilot, um, you know, there are all kinds of different, references to aviation during this time period but this is a really fun drink and um and all you need to really know about it is that there's two and a half ounces of of booze in it and if that doesn't get you excited i don't know what will but uh yeah that's yummy so, yeah so the way that you know the way that i've been making mine is um you know it counts or it calls for three quarters of an ounce of moderately aged rum from puerto rico so i use the barlito and then another three quarters of overproof uh, Demerara rum. So I use lemon heart and then um, an aged Jamaican rum. So I use one of plantations expressions for that. And then you also throw in some cinnamon syrup, which that's the thing I had to make myself. Uh, that was a fun learning experience. Um, Falernum, grapefruit <laughs> juice, lime juice, of course, uh, a little bit of absinthe, a little bit of Angostura bitters. You just shake those all up, you know, pour it out. It's, and why, it's, why, was, it, why was them. making cinnamon so... Why was making cinnamon so so uh, such a learning experience? Well, I just think that because as you're like when you do it, and because obviously I reached out to like multiple people, right? And they'd be like, "Hey, how do you do yours? How do you do yours?" Because I I feel like although syrups should theoretically be kind of streamlined, every time I see someone talking about syrups, like they have their own little twist on it. It's kind of like a daiquiri, right? Whereas like daiquiri has this pretty standard. Um, ingredient list when people are like well i do a little bit more of this and then a little bit less of that and then you know kind of go from there and that's how i have like my perfect daiquiri um whereas like with syrups i feel it's the same way it's like oh i go two cups of water and then you know one cup of it and it's just like it's back and forth and then i let it steep for overnight or i do it for two hours and you have to do it warm and then it's just like all these different factors that play into it so (laughs) um you know, and of course, I'm going to overthink everything because I have nothing but time on my hands right now. And uh, sure. that actually happened. But it ends up making a really delicious drink. And when you have three of them in a night, you just get wasted. So, um, <laughs> especially yeah, when sounds, you go. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on that last one when you really kind of up the ante on the um, 151. So, uh, yeah, that oh, was, uh, it was a good time. So I encourage people to go out and make yourself a jet pilot. It's been one of my favorite favorite things about this uh, this lockdown is that I've been making a lot of those and they've been delicious. And and speaking of that, what have you been doing during the lockdown? How are you keeping yourself busy? What's going on with the shop? Oh man, so so we took some time off. Um, there we knew that there was going to be a peak in um, in you know in illness this last week. And, uh, honestly, our, our, our spidey senses and paranoia just kind of got the best of us and we decided to close down so we wouldn't bring anything home to our families. 
you know, I've got the newborn and M M has her daughters. And so we just, you know, we just thought it was smarter just to, just to take it easy and not force anything. Um, so we shut it down until, uh, until next week. And, um, I, I did get a little bit sick, but, uh, nothing, nothing terrible. I'm still, I'm still here and kicking. So, so we're still good. (laughs) That's good. That's good. And then, um, you guys actually did some pretty cool stuff, um, in terms of your initial reaction to, um, to the, to the virus and what you did for bartenders. So can you talk a little bit about like your videos and then also your delivery service that you established? Yeah. Um, so the, the videos was really just, um, about a gut reaction saying, okay, we have a, like, we have a plan. Uh, we have something that is actionable, something that we can do, something that, um, we can, you know, it, it's just shit that we've done a million times before. And it's, it was dirty. It was crude. And it was just, you know, get it done. And we, I, we, I just called a bunch of homies and who I knew who were going to be out of work. And I said, come on in and let's make a video. And uh, I worked with Jose over at Empress who, who reached out to a lot of brands and he handled that. And um, so we were, we were able to partner with, with a lot of people um, to really just get a little bit of money into bartenders hands. Um, You know, when, when their bars were shutting down and when, when people were super uncertain about what was happening and the, the news was changing every single day. So that was really important for us was, was to uh, give people at least a, a little bit of hope, you know, so a, people weren't feeling so, I don't know, just defeated, you know? Right. Um, but then, but then we got the, we got the order, you know, to, um, uh, the lockdown order. So we had to shut that down. Um, and I, I, I still have ideas about how we're going to, we're going to launch that again. Um, so way people can do it from home. Um, but it's going it, to, it's just going to take a little, a little bit extra work just because, you know, obviously I can't take my camera equipment and bring it to everybody's house. Cause that defeats the point. Right. Right. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's kind yeah. of a difficult thing to do. And then what about your delivery service? I thought this was a real, real hoot, if you will. Uh, so I, I'm always of the mind that, you know, like if I have a problem uh, in our technological age, that, that there's, there's a, there's an answer that for my problem already in existence. Uh, and I just, I don't know even know how I came up with it. I, I was just thinking of, you know what it was? Okay. here. <laughs> I, I, sorry. I have to go back through, through how I, how the, like the logic worked out. Um, I was talking to one of the bartenders from Empress who I was trying to figure out how to, how to give him a job. Um, his name's Yvonne. He's, uh, he's an ex bike, um, bike delivery guy, um, like bike messenger. Um, he's got, you know, a, a big old trailer on the back of his, uh, on the back of his bike that he can, he can haul around a bunch of weight on. And I just thought it would be kind of cool to be able to, uh, have people see where he is, you know, as he's driving around, you know, one thing leads to another, we had some complications with, uh, working with him. Actually, he, he had a, he had a, a scare of being sick himself. So, um, that's when I stepped in and 
really it just turned out we we found this uh this app uh and called glimpse which just allows me to share my my gps coordinates you know on a on a map just like you were following me on i don't know like you were following like an uber driver or something coming to your house and uh and i was just i had i loaded up the trunk with with cocktails and cookies from uh from uh uh what's vince's uh cookie company name um critter critter creations critter confections that's what it is and just drove around town and sold booze out of the back of my car <laughs> like i was uh like i was a little uh ice cream ice cream truck it was kind of cool dope. that is cool For, it is way fun yeah and i think i think that's been yeah. kind of like I mean, well, what, a cool thing What's great about it is is what it means now is that I can because because we did so well on that I can now turn around and I can approach uh, other restaurants who are who might be struggling or you know just everybody's struggling now so that it really doesn't mean very much but I can turn around and I can say hey guys like I want to partner with you this week let's do you know burritos or let's do falafel or let's do I don't know some, something that that boxes up well so we can do we I can go out with food and more people can stay at home and we can we can bring variety variety to people's lives while they're staying at home so less people have to leave i don't know it just seems it just seems like a great idea sort of all around we'll see how it works and how it plays out in the future uh, but i'm i'm pretty excited about it it's just it's something new it's something fun and with the relaxed rules um around you know alcohol and this new weird reality that we're living in um it's just no reason to be to not be creative you know yeah no totally i absolutely feel the same way and it's been really cool to see what people have come up with you know during this time and um you know in a way that we're connecting in ways that we never have before um while staying away from each other which is weird (laughs) yeah yeah I, I will say though, I think people are starting to, at least my hope is that people are starting to like uh, appreciate their loved ones that they live around <laughs> a little bit more often and, and take, uh, take solace in, in being home with their families. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think for, you know, for myself, you know, being able to spend this much time with my daughter at this age is crazy. You know, like in what scenario do you really get to have kind of like this amount of uninterrupted time? Um, which is really, you know, fun. And, you know, and I do, I do miss, uh, doing my job and working with people and coming up with like cool spirits for people and their bar programs and stuff like that. But I think that's kind of where my virtual happy hours have come in to kind of give me that fix. And, um, but I do, I, I do love the fact that me and my daughter have for sure gotten closer over the past three weeks. And there's, there's just no doubt about it at all like for the longest time she was yeah, always, I mean, how can, how always can you not? yeah yeah and that's so it's been it's been really fun because i think we've you know when we do get out of this we'll always have kind of like this special thing you know this this bond that we've been able to develop which i think in any other situation you know probably i don't know if it would have happened the same way you know right yeah so so that's so that's what that's what you've been doing, and then, um, like I said, for for myself, I've been hosting virtual happy hours, um, and that's been really interesting as well, because you know you have you have like this 
group of people then sometimes you know them sometimes you don't and you're all kind of jumping on these uh on these zoom calls and it's really kind of fun to see people's reactions and questions and stuff like that and we've done it where you know i have a guest and we talk about different stuff and then um we do a little q a we've had some good people that are really good public speakers and then we have some other ones that aren't as good and it's also like a weird form because even like the good public speakers it's not <laughs> Cause it's not like, you know, how you can like read a room and things like that. There's like a, there's a transition period that you kind of go through like that first 20 minutes when you're trying to figure out exactly how to discuss things and explain things to a computer screen, you know, essentially, or your phone or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, um, it's been, it's been really cool to, to see that happen. And I think, you know, for myself, one of the things I like about it is usually after I'll hear from a couple of people that are like, Hey, thanks for bringing a little bit of normalcy to my life. You know, it was fun to talk spirits. It was kind of fun to learn something new right now and um, see a bunch of people and, and stuff like that. And then the other thing, which I thought was really, I, I think is really funny, is I've I've put together a pretty decent lineup of people so far um, for the virtual happy hour. And then I have the rest of the month planned out, you know, with guests, um, you know, three days a week. And my favorite thing so far has been like people reach out to me like, how did you get that person? And I was like, well... I, I asked and they said, yes, so <laughs> it was pretty complicated. And, and I mean, they were for sure benefiting from, from the fact that people are not doing a whole lot right now. So they have a lot of time sure. to say yes to things like this. And I, and I will admit there's a couple people that, you know, I kind of, I kind of shot for the stars and at least in my mind I did. And I didn't, and I would have been totally fine with like a no. And they said, yes. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. Um, great like let's let's do this you know which is yeah which is really i mean neat. i think that's kind of, that's kind of the fun part about about jumping into this sort of um line of work of broadcast uh, and whatever it is that you want to call that we're doing here um is uh sometimes you just gotta ask <laughs> well and, and you know uh, and i think I, yeah i, I think, I think most, most people are pretty down to talk and, and they are. And I think we've, and we, and we know that just being in this industry is like when you reach out to people, if you're reaching out to something that they care about, they're more than likely going to talk to you if they have time, you know? And right. with this situation, which is this kind of cool because we're all, we're all in this together where we don't know what the hell's going on. We don't know when it's going to end and it, you know, kind of sucks to a certain degree, but there's no real experts Right. So when we entered the podcast, you know, arena, there was there's there was there still is and there will continue to be lots of different podcasts out there. So we entered a very busy arena and I think we've you know, we're holding our own. We're doing good. We have a lot of listens. People are, are tuning in and they want us to do this stuff um, with the virtual happy hours and, and things like that. No one's the expert. Everyone's just trying to figure it out as they go. So there's yeah, it's not, a whole new medium. Right. So there's not like this like this level of clout that you that you either do or don't have. Like people are just kind of like, yeah, I want to talk about that stuff. That sounds cool. You know? And um and that's been kind of like the fun thing for me is is seeing that kind of come together and then now seeing my friends do similar things and get like different people and stuff like that. Like my guest list has kind of been kind of all over the place. Like I reached out to some friends. I also reached out to some people I didn't know, but I've always wanted to talk to. And, and again, those are the ones where I was kind of like, I was like, I don't know if they'll say yes, but I'm going to ask. And at the very minimum, I'm going to develop maybe some sort of friendship out of this, you know? 
And um, yeah. and I'm and I'm really looking forward to those conversations. And you know, part of me is like, man, I kind of wanted this to keep going for a while because I just like keep racking up guests. And then you know, sobriety <laughs> the sobriety kicks in is like, no, this needs to end sooner than later but maybe i'll continue to do it after and i have been i have been working on some projects that i've been putting off for a while that you know now that i have time i can be like okay now this is when i launch this and this is when i launch that you know i always talk about building brands and stuff like that and i think one of the things that will come out of this for myself at least will really kind of be what my brand is and how people can access it you know so that's what i'm really looking forward to um, but that's enough of the ketchup and the cocktail talk and all that fun stuff. Um, I think we got to jump right into our normal, our normal stuff, which by the way, are we, are we going to dive right in? We're going to dive right in and <laughs> I, um, a podcast that we actually respect quite a bit. And I'm not going to say who it is because we don't plug other podcasts on here is um they are they're actually like kind of taking our model and and running with it and they're much bigger than oh, us no yeah oh no so, um <laughs> <laughs> the difference well, is that it's they're been, it's only been a good run <laughs> yeah they're only doing one story and they're only going to talk about whiskey so we do oh, have that going for us um but they're doing a they're doing like a news focused uh, show, which is, which is awesome. Cause it's going to be great. Cause uh, like I said, the podcast is amazing and uh, they do such a good job. So I'm really, I'm, I'm excited to listen to it and stuff like that. But again, I'm not going to plug it. So not till we get big and get sponsorships. Um, That's right. But, so, so, <laughs> so jumping right in, yeah, our first, our first story is actually going to be about um, production and production specifically in Mexico where um, the Mexican government has come out and they have deemed um, basically different industries essential and non-essential. So the sectors that were deemed essential included health, security, transportation, logistics, telecom, energy, food, and non-alcoholic beverages, grocery, etc. So with that being the interpretation, you have a lot of different productions down in uh, Mexico doing different things. And, a lot of people are still trying to vet what this really means in terms of what the Mexican government has said, but some of them have already started to react. One of them being Corona, the production of Corona will actually cease until the, um, I guess the, the recommendation is lifted. Um, all the different companies down there are reviewing it themselves, but Corona, um, has, which is, and which, uh, InBev, I believe, or are they Constellation? Um, they're Constellation. They're Constellation. So I'm sorry, Constellation. They they have ceased production on Corona at this time, and you know, basically because it's deemed non-essential by the Mexican government. I never thought I would ever feel bad for a a, a mega company like Corona, but man, they've really gotten screwed over this past few months. <laughs> well. Um, you know, they definitely, they've definitely caught some flack, right? And in terms of just like the optics, it doesn't look great to have the name Corona right now, but sure does not. But some of the, um, the follow-up articles that I've been reading about the story and stuff is that they actually really haven't taken a hit financially. 
they thought they were going to, but now that the numbers are actually coming in, you know, they're, they're actually fine. So we really don't have to feel bad for them. Um, I mean, obviously I feel bad for anybody who was working in that facility because now they're, now they're out of the job. Um, you know, here in the States, I'm not too sure. Oh no, no. I, I do know of some, some going on, but like beer production is still continuing. Most, yep. most distillation has stopped, but the reason distillation has stopped is because people are producing hand sanitizer as opposed to their distillates now. So people are still technically producing, but now they're just producing hand sanitizer, which is awesome. Um, That's great. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, down in some of these countries, like I had a, I had a friend who sent me this article and was like, well, what's going on in Oaxaca? You know, what's going on in some of these mezcal producing places? And, uh, and I think it's, you know, it varies way too much. I mean, I know for, for some of our palenques, um, three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, when this was like really starting to gain momentum in the news and the spread was very evident, um, most of the palenques shut themselves down to all visitors anyways. Uh, you got to remember that, you know, in Mexico, you don't necessarily have the easiest access to medical facilities. So for a lot of them, they're like, we're not even going to reach it. We're like shutting down towns. I mean, you know, like Ray Capero, for example, is, um, you know, produced four and a half hours outside of Oaxaca city. And it is not an easy road to get through. And, uh, Romulo's dad is, I think he's in his seventies. So, you know, in that kind of danger range. So a lot of people kind of shut down in terms of letting people in, but in terms of production, um, you know, haven't really seen, haven't really seen that. Um, so it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's such an interesting time. You, you wouldn't think that a big powerhouse like that would shut down. And the government didn't explicitly say that these, these companies weren't essential, but because they omitted them from listing essential things, that's why they're kind of taking their cue to be like, all right, we're going to shut it down. Yeah. And good for them for, you know, I'm taking, taking initiative. I'll say, yeah. Right. And, um, so, so that's, so that's what's going on with Corona. I'm sure we're going to continue to see more and more stories like that. Um, I did mention a couple other companies down there, uh, in, in, in regards to like distillation, Diashi, the Diageo distilleries remain open. So, you know, they have Don Julio and Casamigo that they're currently producing down there. Um, the Jose Cuervo distilleries in uh, different agricultural units remained operational. And, uh, yeah, it just seems like at this point, um, only, only the Corona brewery has shut down. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, moving on the, uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, and this was kind of a weird one and we're still trying to vet it to a certain degree. Uh, but it's a very new story, and it has to do with Brown Foreman and um, the family that once owned Herradura Tequila. Um, they've actually been locked in some sort of uh, like copyright infringement. Um, these two two sisters, who I guess were the daughters of um, the previous owners, have been locked in a, a copyright issue with Brown Foreman over the last ten years. That has just been kind of going in those legal um you know just circles nothing really ever getting done the loops the loops and um and they were using all these different loopholes and stuff to continue to push off this judgment against uh brown foreman and they 
actually just received a judgment from the um, Federal Court of Administrative Justice rewarding the rights to the sisters, and the sisters are now suing Brown Foreman for $625 million in lost that's amazing. revenue. Yeah. Uh, it's and just so, amazing. I mean, that's just... Yeah. And, and what that is is basically um, the U.S. copyright laws allows you to sue up to um, 40% of, like, I guess it's like profits, 40% of profits over a certain time period. So that's what that number roughly looks like over 10 years um, with Heradura. And, uh, and like I said, we, we're going to continue to vet this and, and so we can figure out because there's a couple of publications out of Mexico that's talking about it, but nobody in the U S is talking about it now. Granted. Yeah. I was blown away when you brought this to me uh, Yeah, that it hadn't, that I hadn't seen it. I, I was blown away. How does this not, how is this not, you know, uh, something that's pasted on headlines? Well, I think it's a couple of different things. I mean, obviously when you're in the middle of a global pandemic, um, other things take precedent. I mean, and that was, I mean, I mean we've talked about this over the past that's couple of years. Like, one, of the, one of the reasons that we weren't recording the podcast was because our whole format relies on these top stories, right? And when every single top story is nothing but coronavirus, like what, I mean, you don't want to beat a dead horse and people, (laughs) you know, people are, I mean, both of us are trying to survive this and, you know, make both of our jobs work and our businesses work. And it's just kind of like, man, I just don't really want to talk about coronavirus uh anymore but i think yeah i just i i just wonder um you know what's going to happen and you know fortunately i have google translate and so i was able to read this article because if you don't you know it's written completely in spanish um and then most people go on their phones most phones don't have that so it's i don't know i don't know what we're going to do in terms of you know if this is going to be legit and if it's going to really get legs because obviously this is a big deal herder is a big deal for brown foreman and if they don't have rights to it, I mean, even though, cause I'm under the impression that they bought it, you know, but right. maybe we, well, it's one of the top selling tequilas in the country, which of course then makes it one of the top selling tequilas in the world. Right. So yeah, man, um, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen. And, um, but I, but you know, if you can find information on it, like definitely go out there and do it because I don't think this is something that just goes away. And this is a lot of money. Um, and within this article, there you know were some court documents shown, so it, it certainly seems legit. But you know, I guess we'll we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, well, but, I'm curious who we could reach out for uh, at Brown Foreman and see if we could get a get a quote from them. I think their quote would be, "We're not commenting on this at the time." And who the fuck are you? <laughs> it's worth the, asking. <laughs> the order on that might be switched, but uh, <laughs> um, and then onto our onto our final final story of the day, and this is possibly my favorite one, and I think um, you know one that we can actually have a lot of opinions on is um, the TTB actually issued a 140-page document um, this past week that had all kinds of different proposals, um, conversations, and um, 
different labeling potential acts that are going to be going into effect um, to circle back on TTD. Oh, yeah, this got, this got exciting. Yeah, this is this is something that you know TTB regulates all of the the labeling and a bunch of other things. But for this conversation alone, this is just going to have to do with labeling of spirits in the United States. Um, again, this is a 140 page document, but when you're on quarantine, you have time to read it. So with that being <laughs> the case, there was a lot of stuff in there, uh, and I'm going to highlight the things that I thought were really interesting. And then if there's any that you want to add in there, uh, throw, throw that in the headline and we'll go back to them. So my personal highlights were the new agave classification, definition of an oak barrel. I knew you'd like that. Uh, <laughs> multiple distillations and then age statements. What were your favorites? Um. You, those were actually them as well. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, I got. I was. I was. I was interested in the vodka, um, as well, um, and the um, multiple dis, most multiple distillation claims uh, is something that I'm. I'm going to be keeping my eye on um, because I'm curious how that's going to come into practice. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, if I feel like we have time, we'll come back to vodka, but you know, how I feel about vodka. So, um, the new agave playing yourself there, drew. I know that. I know. That. I also know. <laughs> I also know it bothers you. So I'm going to continue to beat that drum. Um, That's fair. <laughs> the, uh, new agave classifications. This one was really interesting and it's important to remember that all the things that we're going to talk about right now, these are proposals that have been brought by the TTB in which there has already been a first set of responses from TTB, uh, you know, not members, but like your distilleries, your producers and stuff from around the world. And then as well as the response to what people say. So like they put out a proposal, if I'm a distillery owner, something like that, I can then respond to that proposal and give my reasons why that's either a good or a bad idea. And then the TTB then, issues another response and that's basically what this document is is just a proposal some of the feedback and then the response to the feedback and whether or not they're going to move forward with it or not move forward with it so with the new agave spirits class classification i thought this was really interesting because basically what it's what it's doing is it's going to take the agave classification of tequila dissolve it and then create a new umbrella category called agave spirits in which tequila and mezcal will fall underneath it. And then um, you will have multiple other variations within that. So would that be the case? What are your thoughts on the new agave classifications? Well, I think it was a great example of how the times have changed. You know, um, we, we have, um, embraced consuming, you know, Bacanora and I'm, I'm curious if they're going to put Sotol under there, but, um, you know, we've embraced consuming lots of different agave spirits. Um, and I think that it just shows, uh, a, a change in, in time and a change in culture. And it's, it, I'm actually relatively impressed that they've, they have met the time um, so soundly. 
Um, it doesn't seem like it's ahead of its time. Doesn't even really feel like it's behind the time. Uh, it seems really appropriate. This is that this is being discussed now. What do you think? Well, I, I am. Mean, I'm totally with you. And I think uh, what this is doing is going to open up this category for a lot more people to get their stuff into the United States. You know, with agave being put onto the labels and stuff. So. You know, you're not going to be as restricted as you might have been before if you had to like go through your own state government and stuff like that in terms of getting different certifications. One of the ways that um, that these regulations of the TTB has had before uh, that it was described as uh, voluminous, complex, and arcane. This was described by Matt Petrick, who's one of my favorite writers when it comes to the alcohol business. And um, it, I, I don't think you could be more correct about that assessment. When you have something that's so outdated, it's hard to classify these things. You know, we ran into that with our Chironda expression from MichoCon. It's a sugarcane-based distillate. Sure. It's a rum, you know, to most people, but from MichoCon, it's called Chironda. The TTB could, couldn't understand it because they didn't have a classification for it. So we had to put rum in quotes on the bottle, right? Now, right. that is not something that it was like a deal breaker for us. But when Chironda means what it means to those people and you can't get, you know, you can't just have that on the label, it, it sucks, right? Because it just shows how ignorant we are as a country to other people's spirits and stuff like that. This agave, totally. this agave spirits category is supposed to kind of be a little bit more flexible and allow more things in. Now, of course, we're going to run the risk of um, people abusing that. And it was really funny. Our mutual friend, Craig Reynolds, who uh, does some really cool projects yep. here in California, I had posted it on my Facebook. And um, at one point, I was going through, and I, and I still need to do it, but at one point, I looked at the comments and Craig had commented. And uh, he was just like, Drew, you need to call me. We got to discuss this. And I was just like, yeah, I saw that. I, saw <laughs> like, that. I was like, okay, I, I, I need to do this and I will because actually I have really great conversations with him about this kind of stuff. But he, he, uh, comes from a government background. So I'm sure he sees kind of the writing on the wall, of what this could potentially mean, but on the um, very surface level, you know, kind of assessment, I mean, having something like this that allows for more flexibility is something that I'm looking forward to. Well, Craig, Craig himself is someone who, who I feel would specifically benefit from this, right? Because his uh, Dos Volcanes is, outside the you know legal area for being tequila and he has listed on the on his label what um you know distilled from agave right yeah. that's uh, yeah. i believe on the label so um i'm i'm curious as to you know if he he will change his label or anything uh probably not but yeah cuz i mean cuz what you, you could do is you could change it to agave distillate and and stuff like that. And there, there are still the, – the rules still apply where you know it has to be at least 51% agave to be considered an agave distillate. And then there was some responses to that where they were like, okay, if you're going to do that, that's great. But then also please include another subsection of 100% agave because obviously that is a big deal for people as well. Um, yeah. Deal. And one of, the, one of the next things was – and this is – I think this is like a really beautiful throwback to how dumb – the TTB can be at times, but they wanted to define um, what an oak barrel was. So they, yeah, that was, 
Yeah, Funny. they had proposed uh, <laughs> to define oak barrel as a, a cylindrical oak drum of approximately 50 gallons capacity used to age bulk spirits. Uh, and specifically sought comments on whether smaller barrels or non-cylindrical shaped barrels should be acceptable for storing distilled spirits, whether the standard of identity requires storage in oak barrels. Um, and just to show you like how many people are clued into this kind of thing, almost 700 comments came in right. on this yeah. to the proposed <laughs> definition, including from individuals, distillers, trade associations, and the United States senators <laughs> opposing um, this. And and again, it's like one of those things that, I mean, we have uh, places like Corsair in Tennessee. They do 30-gallon barrels. The reason that you use a smaller barrel is because you can age, quote-unquote, quicker in a smaller barrel than you can in a bigger barrel. There's a lot more contact for that distillate in it as opposed to a big 50 gallon one. So, you know, trying to overcomplicate this, it basically is what I'm seeing when you, when you try to tell everybody, okay, if you want to call something, you know, an oak drum or an oak barrel, uh, this is what it has to mean. And that just would have been way too limiting in my. I'm curious as to why that even was approached. If, if they had, you know, um, a lobbyist in their ear who was saying, this is, this is, you know, if we can get everybody on, on board to only use these, but that includes the entire world and there's no way that's ever going to fly. Right. And I, I think what that, um, what that speaks to is sometimes these people just have too much time on their hands and they don't really understand. They're like, Oh, well, if we just, if we just called it Oak barrel, like it would mean the same thing for everybody. That's a great idea. And they don't think about like actually really knowing the industry and how detrimental that could be, you know, to a lot of producers and stuff like that. So fortunately um, that's one that they are not going to pursue, which is really great. Well, when you have 700 responses, I, I think that, that um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty funny. Um, now onto one that that we both found interesting as well that you brought up was the multiple distillation claims. Um, so part of this proposal is to define distillation as a single run through a pot still or through a single distillation of a column still or reflux still. The proposal would also maintain the current rule that only additional distillations beyond those required to meet the product's production standards may be counted as additional distillations. Now, for our people at home, when you're th- for you, if you are familiar with distillations and stuff like that, you're just kind of you know kind of like whoa, like yeah, that doesn't seem too complicated and stuff like that. But we have heard of different vodkas, particularly vodka. Where they talk about being distilled twenty-two times, yeah, yeah, sixty, 60 times, times, thirty times. times. Now, right, yeah, it touches on why they make that claim here. But do you want to explain plates and yeah. why people consider plates another form of distillation and what plates are? Sure. So, so specifically, when you're looking at a coffee still or a column still, um, you're looking at a tall cylindrical tube in which um, there are lots of different chambers on, on that tube. And so you can slide in um, different, different perforated plates 
um, into, into the tube. Um, and you can put in one, sometimes you can put in 30, sometimes you can put in 60. And what happens is every time, um, the vapor is, is, um, rising through that column, it hits a plate, it collects and it condenses and it drops back down. And in, so in theory, uh, every single time it touches a plate is a new is a new point of contact and therefore a new point of distillation. So it um, it's moving from uh, from liquid into vapor, back into liquid, and back into vapor again. And, and plates come in all different uh, forms and sizes, and they, they have different names. You know, bubble plates, and uh, I can't even think of some of, some of the other ones. You know, um, so you can get different different style um, and different output depending on what plates you, you insert into that, into that column still. Um, and that's, that's why people will say that, you know, it's been distilled 60 times. It's not that they were 30 times or 20 times. It's not that they, it's gone through the still an entire time that they've cleaned out the still and put the juice back into it and then distilled it again. It's that it's hit every single one of those plates and therefore has been distilled that amount of times, at least that's the claim. So now TTB is, is removing that as an option. Um, or at very least saying that we will re- we will discuss that later. Um, was my understanding. Yeah, and, and to further expand upon the, the plates and stuff like that, you know, theoretically with the, with the rising of those vapors, that stuff that gets stuck on these plates is kind of is what they refer to as like the impurities and things like that. So the vapors that continue to go up, the ones that don't get stuck, like that's like your, you know, your quote unquote purest form of the alcohol. Right. So having all these different plates there, when it finally hits that arm and starts to come back down, like that's your purest product. So people are going to talk about distillation and that kind of numbers, like the 22, the 30, the 60, but really it's just kind of, you know, it's really not running through the entire still again. So, um, it's no, it's a, it's a little, it's a little, um, um, miss, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Misleading. Uh, it's a little misleading. I mean, cause, cause it's, it's factual, but it's also not right. Right. Uh, the, the average consumer, uh, uh, assumes that when you're talking about a distillation, you're talking about a single run, Right. And so, and, and that's where hopefully this will, this will clean it up a little bit. Um, and so this one received, you know, support, you know, of the definition of what an actual distillation means. And that's going to be a full run through the entire still. The plates will no longer, would no longer be considered parts or would be considered their own individual distillation. So if you had, you know, a 30 plate system, you could no longer claim that this was distilled 30 times, um, which I think will be great because i mean first of all i just think people sound like dipshits when they say that anyways so i'll have to hear that i'll have to hear that less which is nice Um, yeah that's great but but yeah i mean just a little bit more you know transparent i i i I think you and i are on the same page the the more the general consuming public knows the better off we all are correct 100 100 percent um and then our the, or at least the last focus point that I had was talking about age statements on um, whiskeys, rum, cognac, and brandy. And when I initially read this, 
I kind of read it as, oh, we're going to start holding um, different companies in different spirits, and in particular rum, to a new style of standard where you have to list the youngest distillate in that spirit to be listed on the bottle. Um, Now, that's how it read to me initially. Uh, Upon diving a little bit deeper into it, it's really not the case. Um, the rum that is being imported into our country cannot be released to customs or any other person may pick up without um, a certificate issued by an official duly authorized by the appropriate foreign country. So, for example, if we say something like Sakapa 23, my original thought was they'll no longer be able to put 23 on there because they have what some people say like seven year old rum in there in addition to a bunch of other rums, but they have to put seven on there instead of the 23. Now my misinterpretation, I wanted to figure out actually what it, what it means is that like, no, as long as Guatemala certifies that that's legit rum, then the U S will release it into our marketplace. Now this goes for the cognac. This goes for, the Scotch, uh, Irish, and Canadian whiskeys. What I will say that is a positive about this new regulation and stuff like that is the TTB historically has never had to listen to other people's requirements for stuff. It's always kind of been like this, okay, if you want the rules for Scotch to be that, we'll do it, but we don't really aren't going to really enforce it. You know, We don't really care what you think it should be. We're America, right? Through this, we are now giving a shit what the rules and compliance of those laws in their respective countries now mean. And they have to have these certificates. So you won't, or hopefully you won't see like people doing like the copyright infringement and saying things or think, you know, like in, you won't see like Irish scotch or anything like that, you know? So that's that is the positive that does come out of it. I was I I was hoping for the moon, but you know, <laughs> I got a little bit outside. No, I think I think this is great. I mean, I think I think that what this does it, this is you know greater um, guarantee for the consumer that they're getting what they assume that they're getting, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have a government body stepping up and actually doing the work to to guarantee that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, uh, to your Zacapa point though, you know, like it, they're not going to remove the 23 because the 23 isn't an age statement. It's a recipe number. And so it's part of the, it's, it, it's part of the, uh, trademark for Zacapa. Uh, and it's a little, that, that alone is a little misleading, which is kind of unfortunate, uh, you know, cause people just assume that it's 23 years old. Um, but you know, them's the breaks. Well, there's I guess. been label changes. I mean, it's very similar to like the Floricana situation, whereas Floricana used to say X amount of years old, then that was changed to slow aged. Um, right, Papa used right. to be 23 years old. That was then the definition, which is oh, now it's the recipe, or maybe it's the altitude, right. or what the fuck ever they want to say. You know, <laughs> um, and. You know, and of course, that's what we want is more of the transparency, you know, within these spirits. And I think what's really cool is that the TTB is finally taking those steps. Um, 
Now, this is a huge document, and like I said it's 140 pages, but you're not doing anything better right now, so go out and read it. You know, it's, it can be a little confusing. So if you if you you know just want the breakdown as uh, as we kind of just described, uh, Matt Petrick again, one of my favorite writers, uh, broke it down. That's on his website, cocktailwonk.com. Um, but you know, we still have we still have some time here. How about uh, how about you talk about your vodka? What you what do you think was so interesting about vodka? What I thought was really interesting about vodka is, is historically, um, uh, TTB has has labeled vodka as uh, flavorless, odorless, uh, and without color, uh, and that's how it. it vodka was this was defined as kind of what it wasn't and so they've removed all of that and now they've left their they've left themselves pretty much with uh vodka cannot be aged <laughs> it's, it's kind of the only the, the only thing that they're they're they have in there I mean, they still have other things like uh can it still can contain a limited amount of sugar and citric acid which it always could anyway um uh, which, you know, I mean, people should know that, you know, you know, your rum, your tequila, your whiskeys, uh, uh, not bourbons, but, uh, uh, you know, American whiskeys can contain a, a little bit of sugar and can contain a little bit of additives in there as well. Um, uh, and that's a topic for a whole other time, but the fact that they've removed, they've removed this odorless, colorless, flavorless, um, descriptor as to what vodka is, I think is, is kind of a step in the right direction because vodka has flavor. You know, if you, if you, if you taste three vodkas in a row and you can't taste the difference, then something's wrong with you. <laughs> oh boy. Um, that's too funny. Or you just ended up with vodka all from the same distillery. Maybe so. that was it. That sucks. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I do have one more question for you. I thought this was—I thought this was really this was a question that was posed the other day via Facebook on one of our one of our mutual friends, and um, the question was like, "What should I do with my day to like structure it? Like, what are the things that I should add into it?" So I kind of have a so I kind of have a schedule and stuff like that. And so I threw out a suggestion that I thought was important and things like that, but. I want to I want to change I want to change it up a little bit, okay? okay? Now, for all of our industry professionals out there who, you know, are having a lot of a lot of free time unfortunately right now. What are the things or what are some of the maybe some suggestions that you have for either bartenders, bar managers or whatever to do every day until this uh, quarantine is over. Like a reform that you think they should do that. Well, that's going to, when this is all said and done, they'll be better for it. Oh, uh, go outside for at least 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> like look, look at the sun. Don't look at the sun, but allow the sun to be on your skin for at least 10 minutes and breathe, breathe some like fresh air. I think that, that, that'll be a good one. Um, now, is that going to make them better at their job? It'll mean that you're probably sane, at least a, a little bit more okay. sane. So, in theory, that'll make you better at your job. That's good. That's good. Um, any other any other suggestions for people out there? I mean, I mean, 
10 minutes is great, but there are 24 hours in the day and we're doing this every day. So every day. Okay. Uh, How about an hour? What's what's something Uh, they can do for an hour? For an hour. Holy moly. Um, Oh, that'll make you better at your job. I want to say like read a book, but you know, that that might be over some people's heads. Uh, (laughs) uh, um, How about watch some, uh, some, go back and find some old YouTube videos of cocktail videos and and get re-inspired or um, go watch some um, old Julia Childs and Jacques Pepin of cooking techniques. Um, I like that. that. That's a good one. And, and put those into your, into your, um, into your routine and, and be inspired by those. I think I think finding inspiration and technical skill and being able to being able to merge the two. I think oftentimes my my problem with young bartenders comes with their lack of technical skill and their uh, overabundance of uh, ego and, and self worth when it comes to their skill behind the bar. Yeah. So I think uh, developing some of that skill right now. Um, with, uh, with some foundation is always, you're never going to go wrong. Right. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's definitely something, uh, people to think about, um, you know, for, for myself, I I think you're right. Like the, the book thing might be a little too much, but I, I definitely encourage as much book reading as possible. There's a lot of really great stuff out there. Um, Florida Atlantic University is offering a free course on hospitality. That that's right, uh, yeah, and that's so yeah. cool. Uh, there's a lot of other schools that are doing stuff like that, but I thought, you know, that's a really that that one obviously hits pretty closer home. That that class starts, I believe, on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, are you going to do that? Yeah, I have. I read. That's really neat. I, I'd like to hear your feedback. Yeah, on I registered that. for it. Um, it was really interesting because as I I put it out, you know, kind of into the into the ether through my social media. And I had a lot of people hitting me up being like, do I have to pay $30? I'm like, I have no idea what you guys clicked on, but no, like, <laughs> so it's a free class. Um, and you get like a little certificate, like, you know, you're not going to get college credit out of it or anything. But, um, you know, the other thing that I think people should do, and this was actually inspired by some of the things that you said in per, you know, our conversation earlier, you know, on this podcast is that, uh, if you can, and maybe not every day, but at least every few days, reach out to somebody in in this industry that you respect, that maybe you don't actually know, and that you'd like to know, and um, you know, ask them questions and just kind of pick their brains on things. I'm telling you, uh, that's great. You advice. know, i i think I think people often find themselves way too intimidated by that situation, and. I personally am not. I mean, even though like I get nervous, like asking people to do like legitimate things, but in terms of just like asking questions, I I'm always pretty confident when it comes to that. But I got to tell you more often than not, especially in this industry, people are more than willing to talk to you. And because all of us have so much time on our hands right now, they'll definitely be willing to talk to you. And yeah, yeah we're all, we're all looking for a little bit of that connection. now. Totally. Anyway. <laughs> and I think, with that being the case, you know, like, you know, reach out, see if you can find yourself a mentor. I, I saw a conversation unfold the other day where it was like, 
you know, how did you learn about agave? How did you learn about this? And I was like, well, I had really great mentors. I still have great mentors. And I read a lot of books. And I just, you know, try to go out and experience as many tastings and stuff like that as I possibly could. And they were like, well, how do you get a mentor? And that's a really weird question, right? It's a great question. It is a great question, but it was a weird question. I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, my mentors, like they kind of, like they came into my life in different ways. So I don't think there's one standard way to do it. But if you, if you want to have someone like that, you need to be that catalyst for it. And you need to reach out to that person and, you know, extend that olive branch. And I think now more than, more than any other time is the time to do it. So, um, yeah, so that'll be my little, my little bit of advice. Reach out to someone that you respect and would like to know more and, uh, go from there. I like it. That's very, that's a very cheerful, uh, ending. Wow. Uh, very cheerful uh, advice. What can I say? My two-year-old has made me soft. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So you know, you guys, we have a we have a little new system that we're recording on. So hopefully, everything sounds good on this. Um, you know, again, always reach out to us with questions and stuff like that. At the end of the day, we're we are going to get through this. It's going to be you know we're going to be better on the on the other end. But I don't know. You got anything else to add? at this time, Chris? I don't know, man. I'm excited to, can't wait to give everybody hugs. It's a, uh, it's been one of the hardest things for me is not being able to, not being able to hug. People, yeah. So. I, I'm definitely, definitely with you on that one, man. Um, so I'm going to give you a little virtual cheers. So. Oh, ting, ting, ding, ding. cheers. And, uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. I'll All see right. you soon. Later, man. Take care guys. The Good Bottle Podcast was recorded at The Good Bottle Shop in Sacramento, California. Music is by Leon Moore and Chase Moore. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Good Bottle Podcast.